This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to self-work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I started self-work about six and a half years ago, almost seven, in order to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be very interested in psychological or emotional issues. Maybe you're in therapy. To those of you who are looking for some answers because you've just been diagnosed with something or you suspect that something could be wrong, but also to a third group of you that is quite skeptical about the whole mental health scene but you're just curious enough or sadly unhappy enough to listen in. Welcome to all of you. One of the things I love about producing self-work is finding out something that I either never knew, had forgotten, or I find out that newer research has shown that what I believed needs to be updated or reconsidered. This episode is one of those. We're going to be talking about the last two major mental mistakes or bad habits that can either lead you into depression or be a factor in your depression worsening or sticking around. Those two are overgeneralizing, meaning taking one experience or one piece of knowledge and applying it to everything. And the last is having unrealistic expectations of not seeing or believing what is accurate at the moment but instead holding on to a belief or expectation of what you want or what you believe should happen instead of what is actually happening. I'm working from Dr. Michael Yapko's brilliant work on how not being able to make effective discriminations in your thinking can cause bad decisions to be made and decisions that keep you believing in something that is only going to lead to more pain. It's the role of the therapist to then help their client think less generally and more discriminatively, basically really thinking through a process carefully before making any judgments, especially snap judgments. I found another seminar that he gave, and that link will be in your show notes. So today, we'll cover two more aspects of thinking that will help you steer clear of depression or help you realize how your thinking isn't helping you get out of depression. We won't have a listener email today since we're covering two topics, but I'll be back next week with another episode featuring your questions and my answers. So please, if you have one on your mind, send it in this week at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. SelfWork has some great sponsors who support good mental health, and by Optimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough is definitely one of those. I love this product. It's helped my sleep and my energy level. So let's hear what they have to say. Hey guys, I want to share with you that recently I've been working on some very important projects that have very short deadlines as always, right? Seems everything today is ASAP. Anyway, I have not been able to keep up with all of my self-care routine. I certainly haven't had breaks to have proper meals and I'm drinking way too much iced tea. I was starting to get really stressed out when I remembered that the magnesium breakthrough I take every night is also a great support for stress management. I'd kind of forgotten that. In fact, magnesium is responsible for over 300 body reactions, and Magnesium Breakthrough is the only magnesium formula that delivers all seven different forms of magnesium. I didn't know there were seven forms, one of them being feeling more calm, centered, and in control of our stress. If you're trying to balance life demands, give it a try. Trust me, your mind and your body will thank you for it. What you can do is visit 
magbreakthrough.com slash selfwork and order now. Oh, in addition to the discount you get by using promo code selfwork10, so that's different, selfwork10, they're also amazing gifts with purchase. That's why I love shopping at Buy Optimizers. Again, go to magbreakthrough.com slash selfwork to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. I'm sure you've all heard these old sayings, a winner never quits, but you've also heard quit while you're ahead. What about absence makes the heart grow fonder, yet there's also out of sight, out of mind. If I asked you which one of those sayings was right, right after the person you've been long distance dating for three years broke up with you, you'd probably say out of sight, out of mind was true, right? That experience that just brought you so much pain would completely outweigh whatever other explanations might come to mind, which would lead to many other kinds of questions or beliefs like, what if I'd moved, I was stupid not to, or I should never have trusted him like I did, and then might come, so I can't trust anyone ever again. I bet there's someone else, there must be something wrong with me to be treated like this, or countless other explanations that in your pain and anguish and rejection will come to mind. Talk about a negative spiral. And yet, none of that is absolutely right, because both the saying, absence makes the heart grow fonder, and out of sight, out of mind, could be correct. That's because either one of those sayings could be right, depending on the circumstances, and circumstances can be complex. This is an example of overgeneralizing, of seeing one thing or telling yourself one thing, believing one thing, or deciding that that one thing is true, and not seeing the myriad of other things that could also be true. Someone said, it's like you can't see the trees because of the forest. That saying usually is quoted when someone is too focused on a particular aspect of something and misses the bigger picture. All they see is the tree. But here, and often with depression, someone grabs onto one thing and over-applies it to other things. In depression, your thinking can become rigid and inflexible, and you can get hyper-focused on that forest and miss the complexity of all those trees, each one of them very different from the other. Let's go over another way to consider overgeneralizing, which, by the way, children do all the time because their minds are forming and learning how to make distinctions, but that takes time. They're very black and white thinkers. So here's an example of overgeneralizing. Let's say you're explaining to someone how to brush their teeth. Likely, you'd say something like, you pick up your toothbrush, put toothpaste on it, and brush your teeth. But does that actually completely explain brushing teeth? No, not to someone who has no knowledge of brushing their teeth. What is toothpaste? How do I get the toothpaste open? How much do you use? What do you mean, brush your teeth? How do you do that? In your explanation, you didn't say anything about water. When do you turn on the water? Do you use water, cold or hot? How long do you brush? I'm not trying to be funny here, but stop and think about it. We are doing things every day that are made up of a complex set of steps that when you've done those steps a million times, you don't even have to think about it. But 
when you're depressed or when your thinking may be leading you into depression, you can see things and tell yourself things that are way oversimplified, overgeneralized. I didn't get that job, so I'll never get a job. I tried today to be more affectionate, and I didn't get any response or not what I expected, so that obviously doesn't work. The more general way of saying this and what we hear about a lot is that you have negative self-talk, and that's a fine term. But I'm trying to get a little more specific with you in this series of five bad thinking habits in depression. So, you might stop yourself and realize, wait a minute, something happened once, and now I'm telling myself that that will happen all the time? That's not right. That's not what I tell my kid. Well, you know, you tried to swim once, and you weren't very good, so I'd give up swimming. No, you'd say swimming's really important, and there are a lot of things that you have to learn to coordinate to do it. Let's go try again, and we'll break it down step by step. You'll get the hang of it. There's that mention of those steps. You're seeing the trees, not just the forest. So instead of oversimplifying something and seeing something in black and white, We begin to see the different shades, the different colors, the different steps. We're not overgeneralizing or oversimplifying. This can affect our relationships as well. Let's say you know one fact about someone, and you make decisions based on that one fact. Really? Is that how you want to be seen? I doubt it. One fact about me is that I have performance anxiety. So if someone sees me speaking and I'm really nervous, do I want them to decide that I'm a loser? Not really. Or if I don't look nervous, then I must be lying that I have performance anxiety? No. It can kind of get laughable. But given the conflict and the pigeonholing of people as bad or good that's going on in our world, and again, that's what children do. They're bad guys and good guys. It becomes not very funny at all. But let's get back to depression. This kind of thinking, this overgeneralizing, oversimplifying, can also obviously impact the way you feel about yourself. I'm too tired to do anything. Now, fatigue, both emotional and physical, can be a huge part of classic depression. But what if you could break things down into steps? See the trees instead of the immensity of the forest. I'm too tired to make the bed, but I can pull up the cover. I just want to cry all the time. But you know, I feel better when I talk to a friend. I'll text and see if they can talk. My doctor says it would help to walk, but she doesn't realize how much it hurts to move. Here's the step, not the forest. Here's the tree. Maybe what I can do is stretch. You know, I've got that yoga video. I'll try that. I tried that yoga video yesterday, and it kind of hurt. That's the forest. Here's the tree. I'll try again today because I know it can take getting used to. You break things down into steps that are doable and that will help you feel like there is movement in your depression. Hopefully you can hear that instead of taking that one experience, one disappointment or frustration or failure, and breaking down what you can do about it, as we like to talk about here on self-work, into steps, then you can more easily move toward where you want to go, which is to move through your depression and feel a little bit more like yourself. 
Let's hear from BetterHelp today, because if you ask for a therapist there that uses cognitive behavioral therapy, which is exactly what we're talking about in these five bad mental health habits, then maybe they can help you make these very changes we're discussing. Next, we'll talk about managing your expectations. Twenty twenty two is ending, which was a hard year for many, as they're trying to heal from the impact of the pandemic, and now we're welcoming twenty twenty three with more people than ever needing help with anxiety and depression. The most common problem I hear from those seeking therapy is how hard it is to find a therapist. BetterHelp solves those problems. After you make the first contact, their standard is to offer names of therapists to you in less than two days, and you can talk to them in a first session to see if it's a good fit. If so, you're on your way. But if not, rather than going through an awkward call or email, you simply let BetterHelp know and they'll ask what it was you didn't like and find someone else for you. You can text, chat, or talk virtually. All of those avenues are open to you. I'm a therapist because I got good therapy. I know how much of a difference it can make. I reached out and so can you. Here's BetterHelp's offer for self-work listeners. 10% off your first month of sessions if you use this link. BetterHelp.com slash self-work. There's never a better time than today to reach out and get help. BetterHelp.com slash self-work. Unrealistic expectations. I see and hear this from so many people who are struggling with depression. Now, what does this mean in general? It means that you're telling yourself that things would be better or would improve or would solve a problem if someone else would change or something else would happen. One of the clear problems with this is that you have absolutely no control over that if. None. So you're telling yourself that you can only move on or let go of sadness or let go of shame or move out of depression if something out of your control will happen. And that is a huge setup for helplessness and hopelessness, two major factors in classic depression. There's actually, interestingly enough, a magic question that a man named Jobs thought up back in 2016 as he was trying to work on questions that could be helpful in an assessment of suicide. It's well known in mental health, or people who are asking the right questions know it, that many of the depression inventories that people use regularly don't accurately assess depression. Now that's a topic for a whole other self-work. But Jobs and his team devised an inventory that's much more reliable. And in it, this magic question was asked, and I'm not going to get this perfectly right, but it's something like, if you can magically change things, anything in your life that would stop your suicidal thoughts or feelings, what would that be? Now, why would this question be so important? Think about it for a minute. Even if you've never been suicidal, which I hope you have not, have you ever asked yourself a similar question, such as, if I could change one thing in my life, what would that thing be that would make me feel better or happier or more competent or more attractive? I wouldn't live in the state I live in. I wouldn't have married the person I married. I'd weigh less. I'd weigh more. I'd have a better job. If your answer is something that is totally unrealistic or even irrational, then that offers you, and if you're working with a therapist, a therapist a clue into the fact that you have unrealistic expectations of the world, of someone else, of yourself. I'm not saying to not dream. 
Dreams and hopes are great and powerful to have. Just think of the power of Martin Luther King's speech, I have a dream. And hope is a mainstay of how we get through things. We continue to hope. That's often also mixed with prayer for religious and spiritual people or meditation or some kind of religious practice. We want to believe that good things will happen. That's not irrational in and of itself. But again, let's get back to depression. Let's say you became depressed after getting fired from your job and your magic answer was, it'd be better if I'd never been fired. Or you got divorced and you say, I'd be better if I knew my kids wouldn't suffer from my divorce. Or if you were paralyzed with indecision and had missed a great opportunity of some kind. Why be better if that opportunity would come my way again? Well, none of those things, number one, are in your control, or at least probably not. And number two, they're simply not rational. If you got fired, you can't change that fact. If you got divorced, your children will have different ways of managing their feelings. Some of them are likely to do better or seem better than others, but they'll all have things they have to work through. And maybe even the divorce is something they wanted, but they'll still have feelings. And that opportunity coming around again? Well, likely not. Someone else took that specific opportunity. It's not that another opportunity won't come. And maybe you can learn from your mistake. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Depression can mean that you're living in that space of irrational expectation and not looking at things that you actually can control. For example... You could look at why you got fired. How much did that have to do with you? How much did that have to do with culture changes where you worked? How much of it didn't have anything to do with you at all? I'll use myself as an example once again. I got fired from my first job as a therapist right out of graduate school. I can tell you it was horrible. And I was blamed for it as well. They took no responsibility because of what they called a, quote, an inability to maintain relationships with clients. That stung. Now, if I'd had unrealistic expectations or I'd become depressed because of this, my thinking might have led me to believe that the only thing that would help would be if I hadn't gotten fired. I just don't want it to have happened. Well, it did happen. But if I hoped for that, I'd be completely and utterly stuck. I'd just be paralyzed, and I'd feel disgraced. Well, I did feel that for a bit. But instead of doing that, I tried to use that discriminating thinking that we were talking about earlier before. Okay, so what could be their justifiable criticism? I knew I wasn't to blame fully, but what could I see that was my part? And it was true, but they were giving me a lot of clients who were parents with young children, and I had very little experience with that population, nor was I yet a parent myself. So guess what? I did lose some clients. That I could claim was true. But I also knew there were other factors that had nothing to do with me. For example, I was in my mid-30s by that time. Most of their interns or their new hires were much younger than me. And I was pretty much my own person with my own values, and my values just simply didn't fit with theirs. And there was little to do about that. I'd actually been thinking about quitting myself because I could sense this value difference. So you can see how I was trying to use that discriminating thinking so that I wouldn't get paralyzed by unrealistic expectations. 
The reason why I clumped these together today is because I think they have a lot to do with each other. So then what we move on to would be a more rational idea of what would help. I needed a job. (laughs) So I began asking people who'd supervised me or who I knew, and it wasn't long before I had another job. So there you go. A question I like to ask people who are looking back at some kind of failure or mistake they've made and wishing it hadn't happened, again, that unrealistic expectation, is this, this question. What were you trying to learn and what did you learn? You can hopefully hear how this question can transform a mistake into a learning experience. And frankly, I don't know how to learn without making mistakes. Maybe you can ask yourself, what was I trying to learn? What did I learn? Write out your answers. And then that can lead to, what do I want or need to learn now? Certainly what I learned from that experience was that I needed to be very clear about the kinds of patients that I had experience with and that I needed more training in certain areas. I was just trying to please and doing things that I really wasn't qualified to do. That was a learning experience. Another area where I see unrealistic expectation keeps someone feeling out of control and helpless is when they're hoping that someone they love or care about or work with will miraculously change. Just yesterday, I was talking with someone whose family member not only has untreated mental illness, but also has serious addiction issues. Whenever my client has tried to intervene, he just gets screamed at. He's worried, but has finally backed off because he's tired of getting hurt. And actually, some very mean things have been said. It's very understandable. Bad behavior has natural consequences, even when you can see that someone is struggling with illness. It doesn't mean that he's going to stop caring, but he's got to be a little more self-protective. I hear this when an adult child so desperately wants a parent to be kinder or less self-centered or to be more aware of the painful impact they're having on others. Or, of course, this could be a parent about a child. I completely understand how helpless this can feel, but I've never, and I think I can say this absolutely, I don't believe I've ever seen someone maintain a change that pleases someone else. That's not cynicism on my part. I see lots of people making really important healthy changes, but they maintain those changes primarily because they like their lives better. They feel better. So I've seen the motivation for change grow out of love for someone else. Sure, I see that all the time, but maintain that behavior. So let's say someone says, please, I think you're depressed. And you go, yeah, I know I am. And so you start trying to get motivated because you realize you're hurting them with your depression. You try to make sure you're getting enough sleep, staying away from drugs, managing your time, not isolating, finding a purpose, focusing on others. All those things then become motivating in and of themselves, even if you started them because you care about the impact you're having on someone you love. And that's internal growth. So to round this out, unrealistic expectations can pop up in many circumstances. And the more you try to stay rational and realistic, even though you can wish like hell something was different or pray every day for change, that's good. But living your life paralyzed because of believing in magic, when the true magic can happen, when you, even if depressed, say, so what do I actually have control over that I can do or say or feel that is realistic and doable? That's a great question to ask. Now, 
If the answer is nothing, then that's your depression talking. And therapy, talking with someone to help you see where your perspective is off, maybe due to past hurt or pain, a sense of failure, maybe due to shock, or what can seem like unbearable sadness. What a good therapist can do is to help you sit with that sadness or even misery and begin to see very slowly the small movements that might be achievable and therefore might help. Good luck to all of you. I hope this series has been helpful. I have gotten some feedback from you that you've really enjoyed it, at least the first three. So here's the last, and then we'll move on in June to other topics. Many of you also know that back on May the 20th, I did my TEDx Boca Raton talk. And I want to tell you that although I was very anxious, that I think it went over well. However, it won't be available for viewing for six to eight weeks. They've got to edit it, and then they have to send it in to the TED organization, and the TED organization has to okay it. Don't worry, I'll let you know when you can see it, or when you can hear it. I'm quite pleased the way it came out. I think it's such an important message about perfectly hidden depression and us being able to talk about really, really extensive, difficult, almost intolerable pain, and yes, even suicide. I'm also aware that here in the United States, it's Memorial Day weekend this weekend. My father was a veteran, and he was very proud of his service in World War II, and I was proud of him. He came home with a wound in his leg, and he rarely talked about it. So if you have someone that was in the Korean War, the Vietnam War, or the Iran-Afghanistan War, whatever, ask them about it. Ask them to talk to you about it, if they can. So many of the soldiers are struggling with PTSD, and they may not want to talk about that, but maybe there are things they need to know that you're interested and aware of their service and what they may have gone through. Often their major problem is survival guilt. Not necessarily the things they saw. We learned that from Dr. Shauna Springer, if you remember that episode. But reach out to a veteran this weekend if you live here in the United States, or it's not a bad idea anywhere you live. I also want to thank a listener who listened to episode 82, Confronting Loneliness and Apathy in Relationships, and they say, Dr. Margaret has a knack for keeping her finger on the pulse of what's going on in society as far as mental health issues. I found her simply because I was searching for relief with my anxiety and depression. There she was, and every podcast has had something of value in it to help me in my own self-work. Please check out her podcasts as no one needs to suffer alone. With Dr. Margaret, you will never feel alone again. I am so touched by this person's words. Please email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretbrotherford.com because I would love to know who you are. That is maybe one of the kindest things anyone has ever said. I do want my audience, I do want you self-work listeners to feel supported. I do want to talk about what you need to hear and what you're interested in. You can always email me again at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. Ask me questions, give me topics that you'd like to hear about, and I'll do my best to respond. Thank you all for being here today. I know that your time is very valuable, and the fact that you spend it with me and self-work and my team means a great, great deal. Take very good care of yourself, of your loved ones, and your community. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work. <laughs>